Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. Welcome, happy Father's Day. Um, surprise, I'm going to talk to you about... How cool it is to be a dad, not that I would know, but we're going to try it anyway. When I was in fifth grade, um, I was a first lieutenant patrol. Very proud of that fact. I was uh, just under the captain, which is my friend Christy, and uh, in fifth grade I would have to arrive early and stay late, and sometimes my parents would come and, and go through like the roundabout area to pick me up, but a lot of days I had to walk home. And there was a particular group of people that I really wanted to be friends with them. They were like in the cool class and they were like the cool group and they were patrols too, but I was like an officer, right, in patrol language. So not as cool because of my, <laughs> my position of authority. So anyway, they were the cool kids and I really wanted to be their friend and I knew that if my brother could walk me home from school and they had a chance to meet him, they would think I was cool too because he was in high school. And he was 6'2 and very good at all kinds of sports and his best friend who was over at our house all the time, he was um, 6'5 and he had a black belt in karate and I was like, these dudes can vouch for me. And if people knew them and saw me walking with them, they would think I was cool too, right? My brother, one day, he did show up. He showed up a lot of days, but I remember one day in particular that he showed up and I got to introduce him to all my friends who had never met him. And I just remember walking home that day, feeling so proud to be his sister. It was like I didn't need their accolades anymore. I didn't need their attention anymore because my brother, his eyes were on me. He came to pick me up. He came to walk me home. He came to make sure that all those p p houses that I passed by that looked a little dark and scary to a fifth grader, that I knew if he was there, I was protected. He was strong, and just his presence near me made me feel like I was invincible. And he felt responsible for me too, in many ways, like an older brother, does for their little sisters. To this day, he's one of the most generous people that I know, always willing if I called him up right now and said, there's some people that don't like me very much. <laughs> Say, who do I need to beat up? <laughs> Give me a list. Um, he kept me safe. 
And that's how siblings tend to be with each other, really. It's like us against the world, in a way. But not so with the first sibling story of human history. Genesis 4, 2 through 9 is where we're going to start. And in this story, Eve has already given birth to Cain. And it says, later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. One day... Cain, do you just see that warning of God? Like, oh, brother, listen, you have an opportunity here to come back into agreement and right standing with me. I'm giving you this space. Consider what I'm saying. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? Another version says, am I my brother's keeper? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground which swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. I wonder if you caught the irony of that part, that the first job that God afforded Cain was a groundskeeper of the land that God had given him outside the the gates of the garden. The very ground that Cain was appointed to keep becomes the protector and the protection of Abel's lifeless body. Cain was the groundskeeper, and now the ground keeps Abel. The ground cries out for injustice more than his own brother's heart. The ground keeps Abel instead of Cain. And God hears him from that very place. And as a consequence of that sin, of an unrepentant heart, that warning that God gave, that anger that was stirring in him that turned to rage and a killing of passion, he is removed from his purpose removed from the ground. The very thing that he is called and purposed and appointed to do, the very place he is called to go, is taken from him. And it's taken because he pursues his own passion instead of passionately pursuing obedience to God. He pursues his own passion instead of passionately pursuing obedience to God. We know he's passionless because he's only given some of his harvest, right? As opposed to his brother who gives the very best, the very first of what he has. Passion is this, is this Greek word, and it's this aching desire. It's a full devotion to something. It's your full engagement. It means your foot is on the gas pedal and it never lets up. 
That's what passion means. You're willing to give your very life, sacrifice all that you have. That's a passion that burns within you. In the Greek word, it means suffering. It's where we get the passion of the Christ. It means that Jesus loved us so much that he was not willing to hold back any part of himself for us. He was willing to go fully into suffering for our sake. That's that kind of passion. It means that you are so committed, you are willing to give all of, your, all of yourself for your dream or your person or your desire or your God. And as believers, that means Christ. But what happens when we lose our passion? When we stop giving our best or our all to God? When we become passionless, we become reckless and homeless. This is what happened to Cain because Cain was passionless for the Lord. He became reckless in his relationships and he became a wanderer, homeless in the earth. Passionless, reckless, homeless. Just has a way of taking more and more away from us. So Cain did not passionately pursue obedience to the Father so he could not be released to live out two of the greatest purposes that I believe have been knit into the hearts of men since the foundation of the earth when God put you in the garden, and that is to usher and to protect. I'm going to break that down a little bit. Proverbs 18.16 says, A gift opens the way and ushers the giver into the presence of the great. Gift opens the way and ushers the giver into the presence of the great. So usher is this Hebrew word. And it means to escort, to bring up, to go down, to offer or raise, recover, restore, to make to raise. So it's like to give it this boost up, to uplift it to arise, ascend, or steward, to come alongside someone, it offers a place you otherwise couldn't go. Right? That's what my brother did for me. He's like, let me bring you into this place of understanding about who you are that you didn't know without me. And protect is to keep or guard, to govern, to defend, to safeguard, to set securely and act exactly Number 624, this word, the Lord bless you and keep you. That's what that means, that he's your safeguard. And I believe this is the heart of the Father, and it's knit into men. God doesn't reply to Cain's question. He's asking pridefully and rhetorically, and he kind of already has answered it, right? He's already kind of drawn his line in the sand, that it wouldn't be his job to keep his brother, much less humanity. This is where we find Cain asking the questions. Questions, I believe, started with his father. How far am I supposed to walk with someone? Is what he's asking. Or come alongside them when they're perfect or not perfect. How far am I supposed to go to protect them from themselves? This is like an age-old humanity question. How far am I supposed to care for someone? How far am I willing to go? How far am I supposed to go for them? What's interesting to me is that I believe this started before Cain. 
even with Adam. Because Adam's purpose was groundskeeping too. Genesis 2.8 says that after God breathed into the nostrils of man, he set the garden and then placed man inside of it. I want you to know, men, there's been a lie told to you that your greatest thing you offer humanity is your provision. But that was never the intention. God already provided the entire garden and then set you in it. So that lie that I have to provide, I have to provide, I have to provide, I have to provide, no, no. There is one provider. And I think it limits who you are in the kingdom of God because you believe that that is your only inheritance. But it is actually not your inheritance. That is God's provision and his sovereignty, and it creates a passion in you, I believe, when you recognize it fully. That he has given you everything you need for life and godliness, and all you have to do is stay planted in the garden that you might look over it with joy and with care and with faithfulness and see what comes of that. He gave him something to do in that garden, a purpose when he planted it. He planted something in man that he was to steward and to cultivate, to fill and to govern, to tend and to guard. But he was distracted and disillusioned. He stopped paying attention and being alert or on guard toward the schemes of the enemy. So that snake slithered right in to the garden unnoticed. You cannot properly usher and protect without a passion for Christ. Wherever passion for Christ dies, the enemy thrives. Wherever the passion of Christ dies in you, great men of God, the enemy thrives. Like Cain and his father before him, you are a groundskeeper, a guardian of a garden. God has planted things there. Your purpose, your possessions, or your passions, your callings, your giftedness, your ideas, your imagination, and your people. He's planted all of that there for you to cultivate and to tend and to usher and to protect. And there's a certain kind of glory that's revealed when we see this, when we come into agreement with it to usher and protect to pursue it with a passionate obedience. Two weeks ago, I see this in big and small ways in you all the time. So I'm going to tell you a couple of those. Two weeks ago, I'm standing out here greeting at the door, and I see Jock Bryant running after a kid. Now, this is not abnormal, for Jock Bryant has a (laughs) slew of children. But what's different about this is it wasn't his kid. He's a foster dad with the father's heart passionately pursuing him, and I see him running after a kid that's not his own. They were running into the parking lot, and he knew they were too little, and he didn't see a parent around them. And so he just goes after him, grabs her by the hand, and walks over, and as he walks by me, he's like, do you know whose kid this is? (laughs) I said, yeah, they go right over there. I didn't even see it. I just saw Jock being who Jock is running after a little one who was lost. He had eyes on that little girl. 
Josh Lambert, a week and a half ago, was on his way home. And on his way home, there was a collision right in front of him. A, a minivan full of children and a mom. And the car flipped over several times and landed upside down. Josh and three other men ran over to the car. And a week and a half earlier, he had been at a place where they were selling these knives, and it had a puncture, uh, a, a tool that punctured glass. And so as they moved this car over so that it would now be on its side instead of upside down completely, they pushed this car over, and he punctured the sunroof. They pulled kids out of it. An officer arrived and took off his vest so that he could climb in and get the other kids out. And Josh Lambert is sitting there holding this car up and asking the mom, how many children do you have? How many children were in this vehicle? And she said, five. And he said, I only see four. There's one more. So the officer, so Josh looks and he sees this little hand of a little guy, the fingers moving. He was in shock, so he wasn't screaming out or crying like the other kids. And so the officer climbs in, and there's body, image, body cam footage of him doing this work while Josh is holding the vehicle with his arm so it doesn't tip back over. Big and small ways, men of God. You walk in passionate pursuit of Christ in obedience to usher and protect. That, that little one is safe. All five kids made it out. They're okay by the grace of God, and so is that mama. Just minor injuries most of them faced. I even see it so, so knit into the fiber of who you are. I see it when we go to the strip clubs. Outside of every place is a man guarding that door. The thing they don't know is that they're serving the wrong kingdom. But it can't take away from the giftedness, the, the, the knitting of God's heart into them to usher and protect. So much so that a few weeks ago, there was a, a shooting at a nearby club, and the bouncer took and cared for and protected what was going to be a really horrible event had he not stepped in. This is who you are. This is the kind of men that you are, made to be. When Cain and Abel are asking, am I my brother's keeper? How, am I, how far am I to go for humanity? I love when God takes a story like that in the Old Testament and then answers it in the New. The young people would say they clapped back. The New Testament claps back to the Old Testament. It says, I got you something bad here. There was something um, unruly here. There was something that was off, and the New Testament redeems all of that. Matthew 1, 18 through 20 says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. We give a lot of attention to Mary, right? But Joseph, oh, what a man of God. <laughs> This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. 
He pursued passionate obedience to the Lord. He had a vision for his life. He was walking in righteousness and wisdom saying, one plus one does not equal two. I don't know what to do here, Lord. So in my righteousness, here are my plans. I'm going to go with wisdom and honor. This was his desire and his decision And it was outside of God's will for his life. His earthly wisdom was not supported here with the vision of God's life, a vision for his life by God. As he considered this, somebody say, as he considered this. We need to give some time for the Holy Spirit to interrupt our good plans. We need to give some consideration to something he might be saying. Okay, we may have a good plan, but the Lord has a vision. We may have a good plan, but the Lord has a vision. So give time between what you decide in your mind and acting on it to give him space. We need God's vision before we make a decision. We need God's vision before we make a decision. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there's no vision, the people Perish. If you lose vision, you will lose passion. So an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hello, vision. And she will have a son, and you, Joseph, are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. The Lord saves. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. When you recover vision, you recover passion. He was losing vision, losing passion to stay with her, going with the thing that looked to be the right thing, but in the end it wasn't because God had a vision. It wasn't Joseph's vision in that moment. When you have vision, it's easy to make a decision. This means in the very foundation of family, Joseph was to receive her and the vision for her life fully. No matter what it costs him, no matter how... See, if he was worried about her being disgraced, what do you think is going to happen to him? They weren't going to lie about how this happened, so he had to go with her into this same thing, saying, my, this happened to my wife. That's not my son. It, it will be my son. I'll, I'm going to adopt him. But they weren't going to lie about what happened no matter what it costs him, because he was passionately pursuing the will of the Lord. So his inheritance in the kingdom is based on his obedience to the king. This is the proof of his passion. I bet he was so relieved, too, to marry Mary. He liked her. Like, he wanted to marry her. This was part of what he wanted. So this redeems that marriage and that hearing from God even more fully. I want you to know if you get married, you receive God's vision for your spouse's life too. They intermingle, as they should. 
when he decided to keep her, he kept the calling of the Lord in her life. And when he decided to keep her, he kept the calling of the Lord in his life. He kept her, and she kept him. But Joseph had an assignment too. Mary was planted in the garden of the Lord's vision for his life. And since he kept Mary, he kept his garden. Unlike Cain, Abel was planted in the garden of the Lord's vision for Cain's life, but since he did not keep his brother, he lost his garden. There is a loss to our lives when we do not hear the vision of the Lord and pursue it with passion. We lose stuff that God wanted to give us. God was still merciful to Cain, okay? So if this has happened in your life, I want you to know that God's mercy abounded to Cain. He marked him so that he would not be harmed. He was a wanderer, but God had a watchful eye on Cain. God will come in his sovereignty, righteousness, and redemptive plans, and he will show mercy to those in his will who have rejected us, neglected us, or not protected us. He will cover for them, and he will keep you. He will keep you. So you don't need to bear any burden greater than what God bears. The question, am I my brother's keeper, is really the question, am I willing to partner with God's vision for them? When Jock runs after that little girl, he says, I'm going to partner with God's vision for her. For life and godliness, right? When Josh Lambert sees a car accident, and by the way, he was like, I couldn't believe when this happened, it was wonderful that four or five men came around to see how they could help. But I couldn't believe how many cars zoomed by as fast as they could because they knew fire trucks, ambulances, police officers, they're all coming soon and they're going to they're gonna close off this road. Zooming by, right? That reminds us of the Good Samaritan story. And so they're calling these men that came to help. They don't know it was Josh Lambert. We all do now. They're calling them all Good Samaritans and asking who were these men that came and showed up. They were their sister's keeper, their brother's keeper, the children's keeper. That's who they are. So are we willing to partner with God's vision for them? See, Joseph had an assignment too. Just as Mary was nurturing and carrying the salvation of the Lord, so Joseph had been given the name of Mary's son. He was given rights to protect Mary and to protect Jesus. He was Jesus' father. Is that so like mind-blowing to you in God's just sovereignty when he comes down like that, that he would place parents over Jesus and not have him come fully grown like Adam, but come as a child where he's tended to by earthly parents? Oh, please no. (laughs) Oh, man. I cannot imagine that. He was given rights to protect Mary and Jesus, to be called, by fa- called father by Jesus, to protect him, to teach him how to learn. You men who are teaching your sons and your daughters how to learn 
and how to love Mary for the rest of his life and to usher in the presence of Jesus on earth. We don't know if Mary actually rode a donkey, but I imagine that he was there with her, either holding her hand or pulling that donkey, wherever she was sitting and resting. He was there right beside her, right beside her, ushering her to the place where she was to give birth. A person of honor. Joseph lived a life of passionate obedience, and he was devoted to obeying the Lord. And every time he does, he fulfills a prophetic word about the Messiah. He is stewarding the plans that God has for him and for Jesus and for Mary and for us. Matthew 2, 13 through 15 says, After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. The angel said, Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. So Joseph has a dream again. He honors and obeys and immediately moves. He does not give that that vision to Mary. He gives that vision of movement, of ushering, of protection. He gives it to Joseph over his family. There's plenty of opportunities where where God gives those visions to you as women too. But I'm highlighting this because I think we overlook how significant this role is. Matthew 2, 19 through 23, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. I wonder if it's the same angel. (laughs) Is it the same or is it a new angel every time? These are the questions I have. I don't know. The angel said, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who are trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up, returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, he was afraid to go there. Then after being warned in a dream, he left for the region of Galilee. So the, so the angel doubles down again and says, it's okay. I need you to go here. I understand your concern. I want you to go here. He left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth. Nazareth, And this fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. In every place we walk in passionate pursuit of God, you are fulfilling, fulfilling a prophetic word. A design by God. Every time. And one leads to the next, leads to the next. And this is how his kingdom comes. This is how his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. To usher and protect is a passionate pursuit of obedience knit into the hearts of men by their heavenly father. You can be this kind of father because that's who your heavenly father is. That's who our heavenly father is. I see this all the time in the men that God has brought into my life. I don't have a lot of stories about bad men, and I'm grateful for that. I saw a father growing up my whole life who faithfully served the Lord, diligently pursued his love, and sat in the mystery of it. He didn't try to explain away the things of God that were too mysterious for us to understand. 
He just sat in faithful, obedient love. And I think in my dad's heart, he wished he could have given us far more than that, earthly possessions and things like that. But I think he gave me the greatest gift. He gave me treasure that never fades, or moths can't destroy it. He is a great man. I have a um, spiritual father, Pastor Len, and he sits with me every month, and more than that, really, for the last several years. And he's just seen the call of God on my life and ushered it in with me. He's just faithfully sat with me, though he has four sons, and I probably make him uncomfortable sometimes with all of my girlness. He is so wonderfully patient and loving and humorous. He is a great spiritual father. If you have the pleasure of getting to know him, he's worth all of your time. My brothers, I, I mentioned my one um, biological brother, but I have several spiritual brothers. Pastor Chuck, who's our lead pastor, Pastor Chris. These are the people who God has sent in my life to help usher and protect my calling as well. I can't tell you how much time they've given to my life, and you know that they're, they're a phone call away always. But man, anytime I cry over anything, that's their question. Who? Who? <laughs> Who did this to you? <laughs> like Jesus. Jesus is doing it to me right now. I'm just like purifying. And, and thankfully, that's usually the case. Um, they're just honoring in every way. And all these men help me be seen and known and loved, but none so much as my husband. You're the best dad. He is um, a wonderful man. Years ago when we were um, on a missions trip, they had all the, the pastors and deacons and, and men of God that were leaders in the church uh, up on the stage in chairs. And they would sit them there. And they would say, Okay, we want you, Mickey, Pastor Mickey, to come up here and sit with us. And Mickey's holding my hand, and uh, he's walking up there with me. And they said, no, 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 not her, just you. And I, I, I didn't know this. I didn't care, right? I can sit back down wherever it, it, it is I'm needed to go. And he said, no. I don't want to go anyplace my wife isn't welcome to go. And I just, still that makes me speechless. I can't imagine somebody ushering and protecting, keeping me in that way. These are the men that I know in my life. And when I see you men of God, that's who I see because that's all I've known. That's what I've known first and foremost as men of God, how you usher and protect, how you keep people in the care of the Lord. There is nothing like what you bring to this earth. And I'm better because of your influence. 
There's a holy ache and a desire to be men of passion who usher and protect. I believe he knit that into your very soul. And these gifts that he gave you are given and can never be withdrawn. Romans 11.29 says, For God's gifts and his call can never be withdrawn. They are without repentance. They are his gifts, his plans, his purposes, and his prophetic words, though. They have time stamps. That passion in you, it can wane, and it delays the things that God has designed you to do because of this passion. And so if there's an encouragement I have for you today, it is to recover your passion for obedience to his plans for your life. That's my desire for you that you would be walking in the fullness of what God has for you. Because some of y'all can't remember why you get up in the morning. You have forgotten why you rise. My desire is for passion to be restored to you with renewed vision. And as we do that, I have a question that I just want us to pause, and Pastor Chuck's going to just sing over you so if you would just close your eyes in this moment because we're going to give the Lord some time to interrupt your thoughts and your plans and your ideas just like Joseph to give him time to be directional and strategic with you I believe this is a strategic prayer Father what is your vision for my life? Father, what is your vision for my life? We strip away all the other things. This is the brass tacks. What is your vision for my life? You can interrupt. All that I've planned. What is your vision for my life? So let's just stay in this moment. Just let the Father speak to you. Just as you're before. I'm caught up in your presence. God, I just want to sit here at your caught up in this holy moment and I never want to leave oh I'm not here for blessing Jesus you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do I just want you I just want you nothing else nothing else nothing else will do I just want you Nothing else, got 
nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. God, I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. God, I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions. I'm sorry when I sing another song. Take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. And I'm caught up in your presence. And I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy moment. Never want to leave. God, I'm not here for blessings. Jesus, you don't owe me anything more than anything that you can do. I just want you. you that God's vision for your life, men of God, has something to do with people. It's not to usher in more money or protect your money. All those things fade. It has everything to do with the people in your life and your passionate pursuit of God in caring for them. So I have four questions on our on the slide, that as you get through that, what is my vision for my life? What is the vision for my life? How do you want me to usher it in? And underneath that, what steps do you want me to take? How do you want me to protect this vision? What are the schemes of the enemy against it? These questions are on the Bible app, but I encourage you to ask the Lord how do you want me to usher in this vision, Father? You have plans and steps and orders for all of this. What steps do you want me to take? How do you want me to protect this vision? What are the schemes of the enemy against it? And if you're married, this is a partnership conversation. So I encourage you to share with your spouse what the Lord is telling you and how he's leading you and see how those things overlap with each other's vision. I love you so much. Happy Father's Day.